Well, good morning, Chantilly Bible Church. I'm Mike, one of the pastors here. It is a good morning. It's always a good morning here, but it's especially good morning because we have baptisms today, which is fantastic. Uh, very excited. Let me start off with a question for you guys. <clears throat> what is authentic Christianity? So if you were going to answer that, where would you look? Uh, maybe to where the, the media or Hollywood portrays Christianity? Probably not. Would you go to pick one random church, even CBC, and go visit on a Sunday and say, this is like the pure version of authentic Christianity? No, probably not. The best place to find authentic Christianity is you would go to its source, its beginning, right? The most authentic representation of anything is its source. So, uh, for example, if you want an authentic experience of Shakespeare, you would go read... Shakespeare. Yeah, okay. I'm not trying to trick you. All right, let's try another one. He's one. If you want, like, most authentic Italian food, you would go to? I heard Olive Garden. See me after class. No, that's right. One more. Okay, so if you would want authentic barbecue, you would go to? Yeah, I did that on, on that was a trick question. Yeah, we all know the answers, Texas. All right. No, but if you want authentic Christianity, where do we look? It's source, it's beginning, scripture, the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts where we see the church begin. So it's here in the book of Acts that we find a Christianity that left its onlookers perplexed, astonished, confused, and even often feeling threatened, angry. It was a mix of rapid growth in the midst of harrowing persecution it was a community of social elites rubbing shoulders with the marginalized poor. A group of eclectic worshipers from every strata of society. Men and women, the religious with the rebellious, young and old, common people, all bound together by one thing. All of them called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. And so... What was this like, new community doing together in the world? Well, according to their opponents in Acts 17, they were turning the world upside down. So it's here in the book of Acts that we find the most authentic Christianity that we need to build our lives and our church around together. And when we look at the people of this like, world-turning-upside-down Christianity, what defining marks do we find among them? Well, one mark that we find in these common people is an uncommon boldness. Not a boldness as we might define it, like someone with a big personality or a loud extrovert or somebody that happens to have a Twitter account. Like That's not the boldness we're talking about. The boldness we're talking about is a boldness that comes down from heaven. A boldness that transforms the lives of common people. It's a boldness that's actually mentioned three times in our passage today. And it's the Greek word parasia, which means a courage in intimidating circumstances. It's a bravery undaunted by threats of persecution an uncommon boldness that marked God's church. So in our story so far, if you've been with us, the crucified Jesus 
has resurrected to new life. And he's met and interacted with his people. He's ascended to heaven, and he's sent down his Holy Spirit into his church. And this church is proclaiming the gospel. Salvation by faith in the risen Christ. And people are believing and repenting, and the church is growing astronomically. And in Acts chapter 3, the apostles Peter and John are heading to the temple to worship, and they come across a crippled beggar. And in the name and power of Jesus, they heal the man who leaps up with joy. And Peter preaches again to everybody looking around the gospel of Jesus. And even more people repent and believe. However, not everyone is excited. (laughs) The temple and religious leaders watching all of this are, as the word tells us, greatly annoyed. And so they arrest Peter and John. And they tell them to stop talking about Jesus. And the two reply, we can't. Because there is no other name by which men may be saved. So we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. As Peter and John stand before these religious leaders and their threats. So it'll be on your screen, but I'll read starting in verse 13. Now when they, the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether... It is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. You must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's word. So let's begin looking at what one of the marks of this uncommon boldness among them was, and that was that this boldness requires one thing. So if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've undoubtedly heard a sermon or from other uh, teachers or speakers that we need to be out there boldly proclaiming our faith in Jesus, telling people about Jesus every chance we get. And many of us, when we hear those uh, messages, we kind of recoil inside a little bit, feeling maybe nervous or anxious, maybe feeling insecure or uncertain how to do that. And to be honest, me too, probably a little guilty because we know we're not sharing our faith as much as we should. Well, we might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not a great speaker, communicator. Like, I don't, I don't think I can, like, share about Jesus well. And sometimes we think, well, I'm new to my faith, or I'm not like super studied on the Bible, so I don't, I don't know enough, and what if I can't answer people's questions? Or sometimes we say, I'm just, I'm just not wired that way. You know, I'm more of an introvert. I'm not really a people person. Too often, 
We look at ourselves and we listen to our fears. But the truth is, we do need to be sharing our faith often and boldly. But if we look at those excuses that we just made, and I've made them all myself, what do all those excuses have in common? Each one of them is looking at ourselves to either find the confidence or the excuse on why we do or do not share our faith. But that's the first thing about true boldness. What does it require? Eloquence? A big personality, deep theological insight, self-confidence? No. True boldness doesn't look at anything in ourselves at all. Look again with me at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. An astonishing boldness coming from uneducated, common men. Peter and John presented an uncommon boldness, but it wasn't rooted in themselves, what what they had or didn't have. Their boldness didn't rest on their seminary degrees or charismatic personalities. No, their boldness wasn't rooted in them at all. It was that they had been with Jesus. That's the one requirement needed to possess this kind of astonishing boldness, the boldness that comes from being with Jesus. So let me ask you, how would you recognize someone as having been with Jesus? What does that look like? Well, let me give you uh, an answer by way of example. So the other day, I was driving in uh, the car with my kids. Uh, Aaron wasn't there, so you're going to hear this story for the first time, too. Uh, this is good. Uh, and out of nowhere, a car cuts in front of us, right? And so, uh, and I have to slam on the brakes, and my mouth opens to shout an exclamation, uh, <laughs> and my sweet daughter beats me to it. In a tone and phrasing that was all too familiar, she shouts to the other car, What are you doing? Why was it familiar? (laughs) Because she said it exactly like I do. (laughs) What are you doing? That apparently is my uh, go-to exclamation of frustration towards unsafe drivers. Now, at this point, you might be thinking of what your go-to phrase for unsafe drivers are, and you might be saying it's not as sermon safe as yours is, Mike. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But the point is, why did my daughter Maddie say that in that moment? Because she learned it from me from being with me, from hearing me say it in those exact situations. And in that moment, there was proof, there was a recognition that she had been with me because she acted like me. How do you recognize that someone's been with Jesus? Truly and intimately and deeply with Jesus, they look, sound, and act like him. Friends, God's word is our best way to know and understand who Jesus is. And our community, living life together, is vital in us being with Jesus individually and together, knowing and living with him. And uh, the life and activity of the church, you heard all those announcements at the beginning of the message. That is how we express our living and being with him together. But friends, let's be very clear. Hear this. Scripture, community, church activities are beautiful necessary and wonderful things, but they are means, means to an end. They are means to the end goal of being with 
Jesus, of having a relationship with him personally and corporately. True, uncommon boldness doesn't come with having built a relationship with the Bible or having been with people who have been with Jesus. Boldness comes when we truly know and are known by Jesus in a relationship with him by faith. That's what it means to be with Jesus. And how do we know we have been with him, trusted him, have a relationship with him as we start to look more and more like him? Like Maddie shouting back my words, which is a negative example. But in that same way, we begin to reflect in our lives the words, the heart, the life of Jesus. Loving what he loves and hating what he hates. A life of boldness from being with Jesus. Where others see and recognize Jesus in us. And the more we spend time being with Jesus, the more we see him for who he truly is. Our merciful, patient, gentle, kind, gracious, forgiving Savior. The one we can run to and fall into his arms, bring our sin and shame and guilt and brokenness to, and receive unfathomable grace and acceptance. But we also see him as he is, risen, conquering, holy, all-powerful, all-authoritative king. The one that every knee will bow before. The one that stands over everything we fear. The Alpha and Omega, that list that Matt went through. The one who holds in his all-powerful hand us. When we draw near to Jesus, we draw near to our hope, our glory, and our joy forever. And when you spend time in the presence of that Jesus, the fire of his greatness melts away any fear in this world, and you're left with an uncommon boldness, an unshakable courage only for those who have been with Jesus. And if we've been with Jesus, we have something to say to share a story to tell, the story of what Jesus has done and said in our lives. What was it that Peter and John shared with the crowds? Remember, verses 19 and 20 says this, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They shared their story of being with Jesus and what he's done. Witnessing and telling others of what Jesus had done to change and transform their lives. They shared the very same thing you and I share. What Jesus has done for us. For those of us who know Jesus, who have been saved and loved and forgiven by his grace, we have a a story to share. So we ask, have you been with Jesus? In a group this size, some of us have a relationship with the church. We have a relationship with the Bible. We have a relationship with those who have a relationship with Jesus. But maybe you've never taken that step, reaching out in faith to Jesus saying, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want a relationship with you. And if you want that uncommon boldness, you have to do that first step. And it requires one thing, being with Jesus. And on this point, 
if you say, I know Jesus, but I don't feel bold? Well, let me ask you, where does your relationship with Jesus rank in your life's priorities? Do you intentionally plan your day, your schedules, your life around cultivating that relationship with Jesus as your life's primary focus? Do you seek Jesus in his word and in prayer and yes, in the community with other believers and yes, in serving and being active in God's work? Because if you don't feel bold, let me ask you, perhaps it has to do with how much time you are or aren't spending with the one who makes you bold. Because that's the one requirement, but the necessary requirement, consistently and regularly and purposefully being with Jesus. But as we see in our story, there's more. Boldness not only requires one thing, but an uncommon boldness also desires one thing. So follow along with me, starting again in verse 18. Says this. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. So seeing these uneducated common men displaying this uncommon boldness, the religious leaders recognized they have been with Jesus. But because the apostles were pulling people away from these leaders, and they couldn't have that, they decided to threaten John and Peter and tell them not to speak to anyone anymore about Jesus. And I love Peter and John's response here, partly because uh, one of my love languages is sarcasm. (laughs) Uh, And so they say, listen, you guys tell us what you think is smarter, listening to you dudes or listening to the maker of heaven and earth, of who all people will stand before in judgment one day. What do you guys think is the smarter choice here? I think we'll keep talking about Jesus. There was a boldness that Peter and John possessed from being with Jesus that totally flipped their lives around. If you know the story of Peter, if you're familiar with him as a character, right, Peter alone, just a few weeks earlier before this event, before Jesus' crucifixion, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was cowering in fear before a little girl, saying that he didn't even know Jesus. He was denying him. And here, now, he stands before those in power, boldly proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead. Peter went from... I don't know him, to I can't stop talking about him. And where did this new boldness come from? The previously cowardly Peter, after being with the resurrected Jesus, suddenly had a change of desire. The cowardice of I don't know him was a desire for self-protection, a desire to not be humiliated, to not be bothered, to not be persecuted. It was a desire for self and self-glory. We give glory to, uh, and we give praise and promotion and exaltation to what we feel is the most important thing in our lives. And Peter's previous cowardice was rooted in a desire for self-glory. Self is most important. So what changed 
the truth of Jesus' salvation, the reality of the risen king, changed Peter's cowardice to boldness because it changed Peter's desire. Self was now not most important, but God. Peter's glory was no longer what he desired most. Now a new desire swallowed up that old one, a desire for one thing, God's glory, and with that new desire came a new boldness. We see this one desire for God's glory in Peter's sermons throughout Acts, proclaiming the greatness of Jesus unfazed by threats or harm or loss. We see it when he healed the lame beggar, proclaiming the healing in the name and power of Jesus. And we see it in his response here in our story today. Both Peter and John were more worried about God's eyes than the eyes of anybody else. In fact, in verse 21, after they are released, we read this, just read it. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Were they praising Peter and John for what they were doing? No. Praising God for what God was doing among them. God's glory. But perhaps the most striking evidence for their having a one new desire for God's glory alone is when Peter and John return to the church family. And it's found in their prayer to God. So follow along. We're going to pick the story back up in verse 23. So follow along as we read about their prayer they lifted up together to God. It says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, In this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you catch that in their prayer? What is it that they prayed and asked God for? Boldness. What didn't they ask for? Protection, comfort, even justice, or their enemies to be smoted, smited, smitten. Smitten, that's like when you like each other. Yeah, I guess that would be a good prayer to have. But they didn't ask for any of that, any of their own protection, any of their own comforts. They prayed for one thing, more boldness. What in the world would make someone facing suffering, persecution, poverty, even death, pray for more boldness? When the prayer for boldness is not competing with a prayer for your heart's deepest desire, but the prayer for boldness is praying 
what your heart desires most. When God has so captured your heart, his greatness so bowled you over, his mercy so captivated your soul that your prayer for God's glory and your prayer for him to grant you your heart's desire are one in the same. That's when you pray for boldness in the face of suffering. Boldness desires one thing, God's glory. I can't help but think of the words of the Psalms. Those who were overwhelmed with the greatness of God and had a, had a singular desire for his glory. And, and I read these and they're aspirational prayers for me because I'm still in process in this. But I look at what they wrote. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? The answer being no one. There's no one in heaven but you, God. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Or maybe this next one that I pray would be the anthem of Chantilly Bible Church, our heartbeat, our collective prayer together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. How does someone have the kind of uncommon boldness that desires this one thing? Well, it goes back to our first point. The boldness that desires one thing for God's glory is the boldness that requires one thing, nearness to the glorious Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we see him for who he is, the more he melts away our self-centered, self-protective, self-exalting desires and transform them to desire to lift him up, whatever it takes. Our one desire, God's glory through us, that's boldness. All right. So we've learned that boldness in our faith doesn't require some eloquence in our speech or an outgoing personality or seminary training or some unique gifting. It, the only requirement is being with Jesus. And we've learned that true boldness comes from a heart with one desire, not for our own selves and our own glory, but in awe and worship, we want everyone to be drawn to God, his glory, his name exalted. But there is still one more crucial ingredient for us, individually and collectively, and being a people of uncommon boldness. It's that this boldness in knowing Jesus and in his desiring of glory is not something we manufacture in ourselves. So if right now you're feeling like, man, I don't have that kind of boldness. That's not in me. That's okay. <laughs> because it's not a boldness we churn up in ourselves, like psyching ourselves up in the mirror, giving ourselves like spiritually bold pep talks. No, this boldness comes to us one way. It's received. It's given to us. It's a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. So like the church prayed, verse 29, remember, it says this, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Lord, grant us boldness. We don't have it. We can't make it. We need it from you. This heavenly boldness doesn't come up from us, but down to us from God. It's a spiritual gift. Paul, in encouraging the church in Ephesus, he's encouraging them to pray fervently, and he asks them to pray, and he says this. He says, praying, church, at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. And then he says this. He's asking them to pray. Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He says, pray that God would give me boldness. Boldness is not something that comes from us, but comes to us. And it comes by the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's one of those prayers that when we pray and offer up to God, we can be confident his answer and our desire to be more bold is going to be, yes, yes. And I don't know about you, but I'd love for God to move in my life and move in us together just like he did in the story in Acts as it, as it concludes this way. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness comes one way from the Holy Spirit. So I don't, I don't know where you are now. You, you maybe, maybe you don't feel bold. And you're thinking, man, I know I haven't drawn near and, and, and been cultivating my relationship with Jesus like I should. I know I haven't done that. And I know I don't desire his glory like I should. I, I, live, I live for myself. I know that. And I know I'm, I'm definitely not living this uncommonly bold life of sharing my faith because I, I don't. I don't do that. And I'm not even sure if I want this boldness. It sounds like it's pretty consuming. <laughs> but friends, remember, who in our story today gets a lot of attention other than God? Peter. Again, you may not be familiar with Peter, but, but who is Peter? Well, apart from Jesus, Peter's a nobody. He's an ordinary, unglamorous, foot-in-his-mouth hothead. Someone Jesus once called Satan. Do you remember that? Yeah. He says, Jesus, he said, get behind me, Satan. You probably haven't been called Satan by Jesus. <laughs> it's the same Peter. This is nuts. Think about this. I want you to think about your worst failure and compare it to what I'm about to say. The night of Jesus' arrest, betrayal, and heading to the crucifixion. Peter tells Jesus, I'll die for you. That evening, Peter falls asleep when Jesus needs him the most. And that very evening, Peter denies knowing him three times. If anybody isn't worthy of being used by Jesus, who was too much of a failure, too much of a screw-up, a loser, and was too much of a coward, a self-centered coward, it was Peter. And who is Jesus using to teach us about boldness? Peter. Friend, Jesus loves using those who think they're unusable. In fact, hear this. He only uses those who don't think they're usable. Because guess what? When he does great things through us ordinary common men, guess who gets the credit? Not us. We couldn't take credit even if we wanted to. He gets all the credit of what he does, as it should be. He gets the glory. So take heart. You can be courageous. You can draw near to Jesus. You can pray for boldness or even the desire of boldness because Peter gives us hope. So I want to uh, end our time by concluding with two quick stories of some uncommon boldness. Small, big ways. What does it look like? Um, 
One is from this week. We, we prayed for our dear sister, Jeannie Edwards. Most of you know her. Some of you know her. Uh, who is still recovering from surgery. So she recently was moved from a hospital to a recovery center where now she has a roommate she shares with someone. So this last Sunday, her roommate had a visitor, and uh, it was time for church. So sweet and bold Jeannie asked if it would be okay if she watched the service online. And a roommate guessed that it would be okay. So in essence, Jeannie invited them to church with her. <laughs> So she watched the service, and afterward, as the guest was leaving, they thanked Jeannie for allowing them to enjoy the church service together. You know what Jeannie was doing? Being uncommonly bold. And if you know Jeannie, do you know why? Because she has definitely been with Jesus. She definitely desires one thing with her life, and it's not about her. So we love her. I got permission to share that story. I had to convince her to... (laughs) But one, one last story. Um, as, some, as some of you know, we've shared it before, but Aaron and I, uh, when we were first married, spent a few years uh, planting a small church in Dallas. And our heart when we were planting that church was we really want to reach out to the unchurched, maybe the de-churched, uh, and really try to build a community of faith around that. So I got a job intentionally um, at a local coffee shop called Starbucks. And in uh, building relationships and friendships there, had a lot of great conversation. And my coworkers knew that I was a pastor, but, you know, I would just be intentional and tr- strike up conversations and really start off by asking them questions about what do you think? Like, hey, can I ask you a, qu- a spiritual question? I never got anybody to say, no, I'm not interested in telling you what I think. No, everybody wants to tell you what they think. So I was like, yeah. I was like, so I'd ask them questions. I may ask them like, hey, man, where do you go for hope when life feels hopeless? Or maybe it's like, hey, what, what, do you, what do you think is the definition of living a good life? And the answer, follow-up, how certain are you that that's true? Just trying to probe a little bit. I would even ask them directly, like, hey, what are your thoughts on the church, on Christians, uh, on Jesus? And just to get them talking, and, and I would share, hey, can I, can I tell you what I think? Um, and so we would have great conversations. And I'll be honest with you, most of those conversations kind of fell flat. They didn't go anywhere. And unfortunately, that was, you know, not something that I wanted. But again, it's God moving. But there was one young lady that I worked with, and um, we had these conversations. And she was a little cautious but curious about those topics. And so uh, as we had conversations about Jesus, I asked her to come join our, uh, visit our home group Bible study. And so she came. Uh, she was living with her boyfriend at the time, and he had zero interest in that. Uh, but she started coming and studying the Bible and walking with Jesus. Uh, and then her boyfriend wanted to meet with me uh, to figure out what this all was about. And he was very hostile towards Jesus. Uh, and I never forget one conversation where he car- called me a used car salesman for Jesus. So I think I'm going to put that on my business card now. Like, your executive pastor? Nope. I'm used car salesman for Jesus at Chantilly Bible Church. No. But we kept meeting, actually, with both of them and inviting them to our Bible study and over for dinner. Uh, and eventually, both of them trusted and began walking with Jesus, and their lives and their relationships began showing the fruit of repentance and following Jesus. They joined our little small church community. I even got to baptize her in like a local pool. Uh, And today, you know, 10 years later or so, they have a beautiful growing family, and they are faithfully attending and serving in a church in Dallas. Now, I tell you that story, please, not to point to us. We didn't do anything but be willing God does the saving. But reminding us today, if you're in this room and you know Jesus, 
if you have trusted in him for forgiveness and salvation, you can be bold too because you have a story to share and you have the spirit in you. And as we close, I want to close by asking us just two questions. The first one, the most important. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the church, the relationship with the Bible, the relationship with Christianity, the relationship with whatever, but you don't really have a relationship and know Jesus? Today is the day. Jesus is the most courageous, most bold love the world has ever seen. In his bold love for us, he left heaven to come to earth to wrap himself in humanity in boldness. He lived the perfect sinless life we should have lived in pursuing God's glory in all things at all times and in courage. He boldly took the cross of our sin, our shame, our cowardice that we deserve and died in our place, taking our sin and crediting to us his perfection. And in victory and a bold triumph over sin and death, he rose again. And his new life and victory over sin means we have eternal life free from the condemnation, fear, and curse of sin because we know and trust Jesus by faith. Do you know Jesus? Secondly, if you do, how is God calling you to boldly trust him? Do you need to trust him by rearranging your life to prioritize being with him more? Studying in his word and praying with him, committing to community together, joining the church on mission. Do you need to follow him in boldly proclaiming your faith? Through baptism. We are excited to baptize some of our church family today. We had uh, a young man in our first service. We got a couple uh, in this service today. And others are being planned for November 12th. We have another baptism service coming up. If God's calling you to take that bold step to be baptized and you want to join us on November 12th, come talk to a pastor. Come talk to a church leader. Let's take that step together. But lastly, for almost all of us, who is God calling you to step out in uncommon, bold faith and share Jesus with them? Someone God has put on your heart, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, who in your life needs to hear about Jesus, who do you need to trust God, his spirit in you, be willing, and take that step of boldness? As we invite those who are participating in baptism to make their way uh, to the stage and go prepare, I want us to sit with God for a moment in this. We asked ourselves, what is authentic Christianity? And we said our best place was to find it here in the story of Acts. And what was one of the markers of this authentic Christianity in the early church? A boldness that came by the power of God's Spirit into the lives of those who trusted the risen Jesus. God was using uneducated, common, unworthy people to do incredible, eternal, bold things, all because the story is true. Jesus is alive. Salvation belongs to him alone, and we are his people. So in line with how our story ended today, you remember it says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Let's be like that church right now. Let's take a moment as the band plays, and I want you to sit and pray, and let's pray together for yourself and for our church body that we would be bold to share the name 
of Jesus. So as the music plays, take that moment with you and God, and like our brothers and sisters back in Acts, let's pray and expect the Holy Spirit to move among us. Take time with the Lord right now in prayer.